welcome to Shouts of Grace with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Pearson of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah. At Shouts of Grace, it's our purpose to encourage you to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. Today, Pastor Steve takes us through Mark chapter 16, addressing the resurrection of Jesus. Get your Bible out and let's begin. The three things that are mentioned here are very clear. Number one, the death of Jesus, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. We don't mess around with that. In other words, who was Jesus and what did he do? That is paramount when it comes to the gospel, and we don't wiggle on that. Who was he? He was God incarnate. He was Emmanuel, God with us. He was the eternal God who took upon himself an additional nature, and he came in the form of a man, emptying himself, even being obedient to the point of death. That's who he was. We don't compromise on the nature of that, and here's why. Jesus isn't a part of creation. He's not a a product of creation. He is the creator. All things were created by him and through him and for him, and by him all things exist, and without him nothing exists. Why is that important? Because of what he did on the cross, it had to be absolute purity that hung there. No human being qualifies that. In the history of humanity, pick the greatest people, the, 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 the Nobel Peace Prize winners, the people that, that brought nations together. They're all sinners, every one of them. The only one who defied sin. The Bible says in Romans 8 that Jesus condemns sin while in the flesh. What does that mean? It means he lived life without sin and he judged it by the perfection of his life. And so we don't mess around with the nature of who hung on the cross. There is an ontological, which is a fancy word to say, you know, nature. There's an ontological consistency with the God of heaven stepping in to time in a person to be separate from sinners while he's a part of them, while he's mingling with them in order to die for their sin. So we don't mess around with the person of Christ and who it was that died. And we also don't mess around with what took place on the cross. He died for our sins according to the scripture. All people have sinned from the minute that we introduced it. And when Jesus came, we need to understand he didn't die so he could pave the way so you could be a better you, so you could have a better version of yourself, so, so you could you know kind of make it in on his coattail. He died because there was no other possible way for my sin and your sin to be forgiven. If there was, God would have answered him in the garden and said, okay, there is another way. When Jesus says, is there any other way? If it's possible. And God was, no, there's not. This is it. Why? Because it required the death. Sin required the death of a perfect lamb. And so God sent his son for that reason. People say, who crucified Jesus? You did. I did. My sin put him there. I should weep over that. And so when we talk about the cross and we talk about the, 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 um, the exclusivity of Christianity, you know, that it's the only way, that Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life, it is around that reason because when Jesus hung and he said, 
tetelestai, it is finished. The debt has been paid in full. You don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to try and gain God's favor by just being a little bit better on Monday than you were on Sunday. No, it's done. It's, it's, it, it's interesting, you guys. The, the idea is it, it's as if your debt has been totally wiped away and you'll never get an invoice for it again, ever. So Christ has satisfied that. So when we talk about the cross and we talk about the death of Jesus as a part of the gospel, who he is and what he did, we don't move on that, right, at all. We don't try and reason away the burial, right? Jesus didn't fall asleep. He didn't fall into a deep sleep where his, his, his vital organs kind of shut down to a mirror like, oh, he's dead, you know. No, he was dead. The man was dead completely, Nobody stole his body. He was buried in a tomb completely. And we don't mess around with the resurrection. Jesus physically rose from the dead in the exact same body that he died in. He didn't be born into a different body. It was the same body with the same scars on his hands that the nails put there and in his feet. So let's dive then in this morning straight into Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 42, and I want to see what the Lord has for us here. Verse 42, um, and when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud, and taking him down, he wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in the tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph was, saw that where he was laid. Verse 1, chapter 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought, spi- <clears throat> bought spices and they, that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun was risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away for us at the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. You guys, when Luke records in his gospel this, he adds something that's noteworthy, as does John. I want to read this to you. In Luke 23, verse 50, now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decisions and actions, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. 
John adds another detail in John 19, 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and 75 pounds in weight. You guys, when we put all these things together, what do we know? After Jesus' death, two members of the council were said, Joseph, uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus asked for Pilate's body. What council? This was the highest council in the Jewish religious system. It was called the Sanhedrin. These were the people that did the illegal trial at night and they pulled Jesus in and rested him and, and beat him and then delivered him to Pilate, right? These are the high religious people. If there's anybody that should know God, it's these people. And so Joseph of Arimathea was a part of this council, and so was Nicodemus. In fact, many people believe because Nicodemus is said to be a ruler of the Jews that he was actually a high-ranking member in this 70-men council. You guys, it's said that Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, secretly, out of fear of the Jews. I find that really interesting. Here's a person who has got status. He is, if, if you're on that, you know, on that council, you got status, and the whole time he's in this place, he believes in the very one they're trying to condemn. He actually has faith that Jesus is who he says he is. The same, you guys, is implied about Nicodemus as well. You guys, you remember the first time we saw Nicodemus it was in John chapter three. It says that, that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, right? A ruler of the synagogue came to Jesus by night and he said, master, we know that you're a man sent from God. Teacher, we know that you're a man sent from God for nobody can do the things that you do. And Jesus looks at him and in this weird exchange shifts gears almost to address another curiosity or question that Nicodemus has in his head but doesn't mention in the conversation. Almost like Jesus was sitting on the end of his bed when, one night and he was listening to him think things through his head. And he says, he says, marvel not, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Nicodemus picks right up and he goes, well, how can that be? How can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus says, hey, listen, that which is born of water is water and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You know, and, and, and you find this weird interaction between the two where it seems like Nicodemus is having some question answered on his bed that nobody else knew. Nobody in that council knew and nobody knew that this man was talking to him at night. Interesting that he comes at night, right? So Joseph of Arimathea is a secret disciple, and we're told that, 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 that um, Nicodemus is a secret disciple or at least an inquirer at that point. Later on, though, in John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus stands up on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and he yells out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will gush liver, uh, rivers of living water. And what ensues after that is this division, right, against the people where the Pharisees want him arrested right then. And in John 7, verse 50, 
it says, Nicodemus, who had gone to him at night, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing or learning what he's done? And they replied, are you a Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet comes from Galilee. Notice Nicodemus is seen almost defending Jesus. So he goes to him at night and he's asking these questions and you get this picture of a guy who's troubled and he's seeking and Jesus doesn't call him out. He doesn't, you know, he answers his questions. But here's what happens. A little bit later when they're wanting to condemn him, Nicodemus starts to speak up and there's this voice implying that maybe this guy is coming along. At minimum, we know that, that he's at least in a place where he's not with the rest of them. He's not wanting to condemn them. Notice also, you guys, according to Luke 23, Joseph of Arimathea did not agree to this. So as they're condemning him, he was against this. He didn't agree to their decision. The problem was this. There was a fear of what it would mean to openly express your true beliefs. There was a fear. And it was built into the society. People were afraid to be put out of the synagogue. The blind man in John 9 that was made well, the Pharisees went to his parents and said, tell us, has he, been, has he been this way since birth? And it says they were afraid to be put out of the synagogue. So they said, you go ask him. In John chapter 12, you see the same thing. It said many of the Pharisees and rulers came to him, but for fear of being put out of the synagogue, they didn't confess him. And so you find this thing in the early century that, that, that fear was ruling the people. And the people weren't allowed to come out and say what they really believed, you guys. They weren't allowed to openly express it. And I think we find some valuable lessons here, you guys, in the account of just Jesus' burial. Both Joseph of Arimathea and it would appear Nicodemus as well were secret believers until it couldn't be anymore. They were secret believers. They kept their faith to themselves until they couldn't keep their faith to themselves anymore. And I wanna to suggest to you that, that that's a reality for a lot of people, right? You go to work and maybe you don't share, you're a Christian, you certainly aren't sharing the gospel or you're not praying with people, but you believe inside, you know, and, and you kind of even laugh along with, with the jokes that are being told and even though they're crass jokes and you might go out with the boys or whatever and you go out with the girls and there's carnal talk and you kind of laugh or whatever, a girlfriend calls you and just blasts and gossips about her husband or whatever and you kind of partake in it and you vice versa, right? But you're a believer, but Here's the thing. There does come a point in every person's life where you can't keep your faith a secret anymore. It's going to be lived outward. It's going to be expressed. Now, God will take you on that journey, and God will offer the conviction, but at some point, you're not going to be able to stay quiet if you're truly a believer. It'll want to burst out of you. And you're going to be in that place where you're going to be like, gosh, why do I laugh at that? Why do I go along with that? My son, who's 20, he, um, Trevor, some of you have met him, some of you haven't, God's doing a work in his life right now. We've been praying for this for a while. He's rededicated his life. But he was telling me, you know, um, 
I don't know, probably a couple months ago, he was saying, Dad, he goes, you know, I was at this party with a bunch of his friends, and he goes, and we were, you know, we were kind of all drinking. I wasn't drinking too much, but there was, everyone was drinking. There was this one guy that was drinking, and he just started talking about his faith, and, and I just started sharing mine. And before you know it, Dad, the whole party was gathered around, and I'm just sharing the gospel, and, and I'm trying to encourage the brother going forward. I'm just like, okay, you know, not, not the idea situation, right? Um, little, little weird, but, but it was funny because shortly after, it, it is, shortly after that, um, you know, he starts turning the corner. He puts everything down and he rededicates his life and, and he's now seeking the Lord and he's living for God. Why? It wasn't that he didn't believe before. Maybe part of it was his parents' faith and he was now out living his own life and realizing, I don't want this life. I don't want to be like this, right? I don't want to sit in this home and this is it. This is what the guys do. And now God is bringing him along in his perfect timing. He's becoming the man of God that God wants him to be. You guys, what's happening? I could only bring my son so far. I can't believe for him right? So now what happened? God takes him from there and he trains him to be a man of God. He gives him the conviction. He's the one that produces it. And so now he's coming back and he's asking me questions about this and that. And I'm just inside, I'm thinking to myself, oh God, thank you. Because this could have been very different. But every person, you guys, who is truly a believer is going to come to a point where they can't hide it anymore. It's going to come out of them, you guys. What does that tell us? It tells us that we really never truly know where a person's at. You don't know. You, you, you think you know, right? You, you got two high-ranking council members. I guarantee you, everybody on the Sanhedrin didn't think they were disciples. They thought they were just like everybody else. You never know where a person's at. You never know when you're sharing the gospel and in your mind you're thinking this is a waste of time. This is not going to matter. You don't know if they're a Joseph or if they're a Nicodemus. You have no clue because God's bringing them along in their own way and in their own time. That's a word for some of you who have struggling spouses and you're thinking, is this ever going to get better? Is this, I don't even know if they believe. You don't know where they're at. You got a kid who's off the charge and you're thinking, man, you know, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't even know if they know God. Listen, my son believed and he knew the Lord, no doubt when he, when he was drinking and doing what he was doing, but he had not dedicated his life to the Lord. And if you would have looked at him, you would have thought, man, this guy's off the charge. He doesn't even know who God is. You never know where a person's at. God gets their attention. And as soon as he gets their attention, it's not like they always respond with a yes and amen. Sometimes they're dragged. Sometimes it's a journey. So what's the point? The point is don't give up on them. Keep praying for them. Don't refrain from sharing the gospel with them because they could be in that place where it's secret. Look at what happened when Naaman comes uh, you know, from Syria, and, and he comes seeking the prophet, and, and he says to him, you know, hey, I want to be healed of my leprosy. Go, go, go dip in the Jordan seven times. And he goes, and he dips in the Jordan seven times. He's healed. He comes up out of it, and he says, man, there ain't no other God but the God of Israel. He comes to this profession of faith because he had just gotten healed. So he goes back then to his master, and as he's on his way back, the man of God comes to him, and Naaman says this, he goes, hey, I need you to forgive me in this one thing. I'm gonna go back to my master, and I'm gonna take a knee in the temple of Ramon. Please forgive me. The prophet could have said, you know what, no. 
renounce that, get rid of all of it, and go your way. You know what he said? Go in peace. I find that very interesting. I find it interesting. If you were standing outside that temple that day and you were counting all the worshipers that went in, you would be going pagan, 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 and you would have been, out of 100 of them, you would have been right in 99 of them, but not one because he was changed. Well, why didn't he just go a different way? Because he's not there yet. He's, he's not there yet. God moves him. Sometimes you'll have a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where it's, hey, bend, you know, bend the knee. No, we ain't bending them. We'll throw you in the fire. Throw us in the fire. Sometimes you have that bold faith. Other times you have a faith that is built and stoked as a small, tiny flame, and God builds it over time. But listen, eventually you won't be able to keep quiet. Eventually the person will come out and they will Give God praise. Side note too, you guys, often God raises up people in high places as a voice in that particular area for his glory. Did you know that? Not all politicians are scumbags, okay? A lot of them are. A lot of them are there for themselves, but sometimes God puts people in high places for his glory, to be a voice. There were two voices on the Sanhedrin that were, that were voices of disciples. One of them did not agree to it. We don't know about Nicodemus. Sometimes God puts people in high places to accomplish his will. Keep that in mind. Also, we're told that they were both looking for the kingdom of God. I really like this. The word looking means expecting, waiting, anticipating. It's actually, you guys, a Greek word that's used to describe a person ready to give themselves an intimacy to a partner, right? They were, they were, they were looking. They were willing, you guys, to enter in to a deep des- a desire in their heart, a deep commitment to God where there was an intimacy and they just opened themselves up. They were willing for that. They were looking for that, you guys. It means that, that people are so passionate about God's kingdom that when the truths are revealed, they grab them. It's just like, yes, this is it. I remember when the gospel was shared. I, to me, I was 21 years old. I was a wreck, and I wandered into the back of a church, and I was sitting there going, there's no answer in life for this. I mean, I just eat, drink, and be merry or whatever. And then this man shared you know, this gospel with me, and you know what he shared that just stuck me? He shared, this God will never leave you. He'll never leave you. And that was, that, was, that was a hard one for me. That was what pierced my heart because I've never had that in my life. I grew up with four different dads at four different eras of my mom's you know, life. And then the last one was another mom, right? That's how she closed the door on life. And so I only had people that were leaving. And you talk about a father that's gonna stay, stick with you. I was like, what? Like, what is this, right? It, it was something that, was intriguing to me. And then what happened is once he got my attention and I repented of my sins, I realized, man, I'm really messed up. Why would you stay with me? That's what kept me. I'm really messed up and you keep loving me? And you know what? You don't have that assurance with anybody else in life. You don't know. Your spouse may leave you. You You're not guaranteed that. I mean, I hope it wouldn't be the case. You might be kicked out of a job. You might have friendships leave you. You might have a child leave you. You don't have anybody who will stay with you 
just you other than the God who saves you. That is just, a, a, that rips your heart. You're just like, man. So that's the type of intimacy that God wants with people. And you guys, this was both Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They were looking for the kingdom of God. There was an openness to who God was and what he wanted to give them. And because, you guys, the cost for them would be so great since they were both in these positions of recognition, Mark 15, 43 said it took courage to go to Pilate and ask for the body. Why? Because they knew they couldn't turn back from that decision. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace with Pastor Steve Pearson. We hope you've been encouraged to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. If you've been encouraged in your journey following and learning more about Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can visit us online at shoutsofgraceradio.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes, share them online with your friends, and find out more about Pastor Steve. Shouts of Grace is an outreach of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah, and we invite you to attend our Sunday morning gatherings. For location, sermon times, and contact information, check us out at rhutah.church. Thank you again for joining us on today's show. And from all of us here at Shouts of Grace, it is our prayer that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Shouts of Grace is a production of Key Radio.